Hey everybody, welcome back to The Visitors Might Be Listening, the greatest podcast in the universe that talks about Apple TV Pluses for all mankind. I'm Lewis Ryan, your host with the most, and now I have my co-host with the most, Mr. Mike Levito. How's it going, Lewis? If you hear any air raid signs behind me, just ignore those. I'm sure it's nothing. No, I, I don't I don't hear anything, Mike. Um, should we pause and wait for them to stop, or... Uh, let's let's just go through it i'll I'll turn them off wait you you turn them on well i mean like i think there's a switch i can just turn them off like there is in jsc oh wait i see you were making a joke yes referencing the episode i see (laughs) so mike this is a big one right it is it's the season finale of for all mankind season two the gray whole lot happens in this episode yeah a whole lot and we'll get into it. So I'm I'm excited because this this has been a pretty good season, right? I agree. I think it's an excellent season of television. Probably the best season of the show. Not probably. I think definitely. And it's it's sad to see it come to an end, but but boy does it end with a bang, and in some ways a prevention of a bang. Thankfully for the characters. Yeah. Um, well, this is uh, an exciting season finale. This is the only episode we're going to be talking about in our uh, podcast forum this week so um it's a it's a big one i i i knew when i watched this episode for the first time that it's like it's such a big episode that it it would be doing a disservice to the listener but more importantly to us to try to condense it down into our usual two episode discussion for one podcast so hopefully we'll dive deep into it and make it worth the listener's whiles exactly yeah it is also i believe 20 minutes longer than a regular episode the, yeah, this is like a, a feature film. Yes. Exactly as long as uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc. <laughs> <clears throat> one, one of Sight and Sound's greatest films, I believe, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. So we've covered season one of this show, and we've covered season two now. And I, I think I'll just announce this right at the beginning, so as not to keep our viewers in suspense. We're going to be putting a pause on our discussion of For All Mankind for our millions and millions of listeners out there who tune in every week send us dozens of letters you know i was laid up in the hospital for months and i received many and many of your emails that you've sent us you know and they just they gave me they were so life-affirming and they really gave me a purpose and a reason to continue doing this podcast week after week we're going to be putting a pause in our for all mankind discussion and uh, we'll be coming up with something new for the visitors podcast which we hope to bring to you real soon and so we'll give our thoughts on this episode and we'll give our thoughts on for all mankind overall hopefully afterwards but um that this is this might be it everyone for our for all mankind so we'll try to give our final thoughts on the show does that sound good mike sound 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 you you are the commander of this mission so you know whatever you say goes let's talk about the title first right mike the gray yes i have an idea of what i think this title refers to as do i yeah i mean it's clearly referring to the liam neeson movie (laughs) where he gets shot down he's in a plane that gets shot down and he's trapped in the snowy forest and he has to fight wolves yeah he he straps broken glass to his hands i believe to uh to fight wolves um no i think it's pretty clearly uh the reference the, the line that um karen has in uh the prior episode triage where she and ed are arguing and you know they're arguing about their marriage and ed says well you're either in or you're out and she's like no things aren't black and white there's a shade of gray and ed and most of the characters in this episode find themselves directly in that shade of gray having to make difficult decisions weigh their own lives against the lives of others and and make truly truly planetary level like decisions it's a it's a good title because this show has dealt with a lot of like you know revisiting moments that we consider simpler times you know the past is a is a different country as uh, someone said once so you know simpler times we tend to view the past as being more black and white than our current modern day social media uh, TikTok influenced reality where everything is like good guys and bad guys it's like you know back in the day. Elon Musk might have been seen as the greatest person that ever lived, but now it's like there's some complications. And it's like, is Elon a good person? Is he a bad person? <laughs> I don't know. And therein lies the the gray that the title is referring to. I'll just recap 
the end of last episode quickly for people who might not remember or even know. If this is their first time tuning into our podcast, I suppose I should say thank you, but really I'm going to be like, where have you been? <laughs> Stop listening right now. And wh- why, are you e- why are you starting with this episode, too? Get out of here. What are you doing? <laughs> you know what? If you were planning on writing me an email, don't, okay? Don't bother. Mm-hmm. I don't need it. Right. I need the space in my Gmail. We got plenty of fans, plenty of friends. If I wanted more fans, I'd go down to Dan's Fan City and I'd buy <laughs> some fans. Exactly. Ceiling. But I don't, all right? Because it's wintertime and it's too cold. I don't need any fans. Same. So the recap. Yes. So last <laughs> week, Jamestown. Yes. Um, it was attacked. Some... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to recap and then I was going to hand it off to you, Mike. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Mm-hmm. Is that okay with you? Yes. Like I said, you're the commander of this mission. So. Goddamn right, I'm the commander. <laughs> and uh, so, Jamestown. So, they've had an altercation with the Russians that resulted in one dead Russian and one wounded Russian um, being laid up in triage that has uh, offered to defect to the United States. Just when things seem to have entered a lull, the Russians themselves that are on the moon have launched an assault with like machine guns and they have infiltrated jamestown base and as we learned in this episode they were doing it on orders from russia one american is dead having been launched out into the vacuum of the moon and there are like four or five russians with machine guns you know basically taking jamestown base by surprise a whole international incident is happening much worse than anything that's ever happened in our reality. I don't know. Is there anything re- in the real Cold War that is parallel to this, Mike? This seems like a pretty bad situation. Well, I yeah, I don't know that we've ever had this kind of like direct conflict, or at least not publicly acknowledged, like direct conflict between like Soviet and American forces. I mean, we came close a couple times in Berlin. Uh, and actually, like another aspect of this episode is very reminiscent of the Cuban Missile Crisis which we'll, we'll talk about more a little bit later on. Um, there was an incident, I don't remember exactly when, but on, on the, 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 the demilitarized zone, the DMZ in, in North and South Korea, where there was an incident where um, there was kind of like a scuffle, and this was after the, the, uh, the ceasefire was signed in the Korean War, where there was like uh, somebody like chopped down a tree on the wrong side of the border, and there ended up being like uh some you know back and forth between american and south korean soldiers and north korean soldiers which is maybe like equivalent just because you know it's a small number of people but obviously like a very important kind of base and area in the world um but no there's there i I don't i don't believe that american and soviet forces have ever exchanged fire unless you had maybe like you know soviet like spetsnaz secretly serving in vietnam or korea or you know american uh, soldiers secretly serving in like Afghanistan or something like that. That's pure speculation on my part. I cannot confirm or deny that anything like that ever happened. But yeah, but that's a very long-winded way of saying yes. This this would have been catastrophic if it had happened in real life. Yeah. So that's the table setting that we have going into this episode, and uh, it's pretty exciting. So Mike, why don't you tell us like what's what's happening in the episode proper? Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, you know the Soviets kind of take control of, of that one area of the Jamestown base. They have uh, Commander Alex Rossi in captivity. They're, they're, they're there primarily to uh, retrieve Roland Baranov, who is the um, cosmonaut who was shot, um, who was taken back to Jamestown base to recover and who now wants to defect the United States. And the U.S. government, you know, they're providing him with asylum. They want him to defect as well. And the Soviets are not taking no for an answer when it comes to him being returned. The uh, the team at JSC notices that there's a depressurization event at Jamestown Base, so they call and are like, hey, what's going on? And Rossi, who basically at gunpoint lies to them about what's happening. And kind of at the same time, you have Ed and his crew with uh, Piscotti and Sally Ride, who are in the, the, the Pathfinder, the, the nuclear space shuttle, which is escorting the Sea Dragon rocket, which has materials to make nuclear weapons with. Um, they're escorting it to the moon, which is currently being blockaded by the Baran shuttle, um, which is a Soviet shuttle, which means that there may be a confrontation there as well. Yeah, so let's talk about Ed. Okay. Yeah, we talked a bit last week about, like, I don't know if we need this character in this show anymore, but 
I actually think Ed like is pretty good in this episode. I would agree. Um, you know, he he's got a lot on his mind. He just had the conversation with Karen. How she had she had slept with someone. That someone, of course, being Danny Stevens. And he's got a lot on his mind, and he's definitely in sort of like steely commander mode, right? Like he's got a very short fuse. Um, he's ready to execute the orders of NASA and DOD and, and the president, no matter what happens. He's in like war mode, right? And it is the the journey he goes on basically in this episode is kind of, I think, I don't know if it's a conclusion to his like character's arc altogether, but it is like definitely a, well, it's a conclusion, maybe not the conclusion, you know what I mean? Because um, he will be in season three. Yeah, he, he kind of, I think, embodies one side of this like morally gray thing. Like he is a black and white Korean War veteran, sees pure right and wrong. He talks a lot about how, you know, in Vietnam, they didn't show enough strength against the Soviets and, and the Soviets are trying to take advantage of American weakness again on the moon. So it's time to take a stand, even if that means killing cosmonauts. And he's trying to be pulled to the other side by Sally Ride in particular. You know, he, he's the one who's having the most difficulty uh, dealing with the gray, as it were. Yeah, so that that is what Ed is up to up on Pathfinder, which is under the direction of the Department of Defense Yes. in this episode. And uh, just going back to what you said, so like um, NASA is currently unaware at this juncture that the Russians have invaded. They just see like a slight pressurization and like you said, Alex Rossi lies. So they don't know that the Russians are there that they've opened fire and that one of their American crew members is currently deceased Mm -hmm. condition unlikely to change. And Gordo and Tracy are both up there too. They're sort of tuckered away in a different section in like the airlock where they like usually smoke their cigarettes. Yeah. They, they also don't know what's going on. Right. Cause they, like we said, we're in the airlock. Weren't around for the explosion, all of that. And they're kind of looking around and then they slowly come to the realization of what happened. And they try to, um, after witnessing some horrific things, they, they witness a gunfight between uh, space marines and cosmonauts. They, they try and kind of like find a way to get in contact with Houston, which they do by kind of like finding these old cables that they used to use in like the early days when Gordo was up there the first time. And they, they, they managed to, to, like, connect with a monitor down there that's, like, now in, like, a storage closet, basically, <laughs> that Alita finds when she's walking past it. And that's how they communicate what's happening on Jamestown Base to Houston. Of course, as we mentioned, the uh, the Apollo-Soyuz mission is happening in the backdrop of all of this. And it kind of becomes, you know, even though tensions are high in the last episode, both sides decide to launch their capsules, which means, like, oh, we're finally going to do this thing. But now there are serious doubts and they are thinking about seriously ending the mission prematurely and having Danny and her, again, kind of nameless crewmate uh, come down back to Earth and just like calling the whole thing off. This gesture of goodwill won't happen because we're basically at war right now with the Russians. So like Margot is talking with Sergey over the video conferencing about is the Soyuz Apollo thing going to happen? Because they're like kind of playing silent right now, radio silence, and it's like a tete-a-tete mm-hmm. between them. And then Sergey sends Margo a secret code by giving her a phone number, which mm-hmm. Margo figures out because Margo's smart. And she goes out to a payphone, and she manages to call um, a direct line to the Soviet Union, seemingly no problem on a payphone, and. Sergey is there waiting, and then they have a conversation about how, you know, they can't talk in public because they're, like, being watched. They don't know what's going to happen, and Margo's like, I can only guarantee you guys one more orbit in space. Exactly, yeah. That scene was, like, I didn't fully, and maybe just because I, like, looked away from the screen or whatever, I didn't fully understand how he he gave her that code. I think he's, like, describing a vector where they can connect. And, yeah, I would think that if somebody made an outgoing call to the Soviet Union outside of a NASA building that, like, the feds would be there very quickly. <laughs> but, hey, good good for Margot and Sergey for figuring it out, I guess. Operator, I can transfer your call. Give me Soviet the... Union, please. Yeah, The Kremlin, please. But they don't care. It's a payphone. That's true. You can't true. trace a payphone. I guess not. Could you even trace calls back in the day? I guess you could. But there's no, like, cell signal. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It depends how many nickels you have. That's true. As you said already, that the, the Marines, the American Marines that are on the moon, they decide to... 
that they're not going to be namby pambies and they're going to go out there and try to fight the Russians as best they can. So they have most of the Jamestown crew wait while they put on their spacesuits and they go out into the depressurized zone with their own guns and they try to, you know, take down the, the cosmonauts. And it's pretty exciting, high stakes tension where they're out there. And obviously they can't hear anything because they're just stuck in the suits. You have the nice red light. Uh, I don't know if it's that's realistic, maybe, <laughs> that they that the space station would be bathed in red light, but it's exciting. Well, I, I know I know on, on naval vessels they bathe things in red light because the idea is that apparently it irritates your eyes less, so it's a thing you can keep on all night. Um, so in case of emergency, if you have to get up in the middle of the night, you can see where you're going, but it also lets you sleep. At least that's what I was told when I did this Boy Scout trip to the USS New Jersey in Camden. Yeah, it's interesting. See, you know, it's 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 this sort of like vacuum, this this gunfight in a vacuum, right? This depressurized gunfight. It's kind of like weird visually, right? Because yeah, there's like really no sound to the gunshots. When people fall, they fall like very like suddenly. But but it's a pretty you know it, it's a pretty tense, effective scene. It's an interesting way to like approach a gunfight. It's exciting. The cosmonauts get to drop on some of the marines, but the one of the marines manages to shoot down one of the cosmonauts. And it's all in full view of uh, Tracy and Gordo, who kind of realize what's going on. And as you said, they end up getting in contact with NASA through the old two-way Skype call that Aleda finds. You know, this character that we've been building up for two seasons, Aleda, Mm -hmm. who had a very nice moment uh, a few episodes ago with Bill Strauss, and who does approximately nothing in this episode, basically. Kind of makes me question why we've been building up this character. (laughs) She uh she she gets mad at she yells at she yells at Molly when they say they like oh they're probably gonna stop the the Apollo mission, and then she yeah she finds Margot and Gordo broadcasting from the closet. Um, you mean Tra- Tracy and Gordo? Yes, yes, Tracy and Gordo broadcasting from the closet, and that's that that is kind of all she does. It's, it's not an Alita heavy episode. And as a result of like the gunshots that they fired in that hallway right there. It turns out they shot the one thing they actually were not supposed to shoot. Yes. Well, actually, this is kind of like a twist. So there's, like, nuclear materials on Jamestown. Is it, like, a nuclear... They have a nuclear reactor? Yeah, like, that's what's powering Jamestown, I believe, right? That That's what gives them electricity. Clean, sweet nuclear power. Yes. And um, it turns out there was a second nuclear reactor. Mm-hmm brought on to help weaponize plutonium well yeah to, to develop nuclear weapons to I, I think you refine plutonium is what you do when you turn it into like a nuclear missile or whatever and yeah the, the dod had did that had done that under nasa's nose ellen knew about it margo did not margo's very upset about this but yeah it so i guess the, the idea is is that the the nuclear reactor that powers everything is connected to a failsafe so when the cooling system gets shot the failsafe protects it However, the other nuclear reactor, because it was being made in secret and, and kind of quickly and hastily, is not connected to a failsafe, which means that in, I forget the, 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 the timeline they give them, but very shortly, the nuclear reactor will fail, which will cause a meltdown and an explosion, and they said would not make the moon habitable for like thousands of years. Well, like that area of the moon habitable yeah. for 1,000 years, according to Margo. Yeah. To which I say the moon isn't habitable at all. <laughs> Um, this is true. And, okay, so that's happening. So it's like danger on the moon, Russians with guns, but also nuclear reactor going critical. Mm-hmm. Very bad news. So then Ed is in Pathfinder with Sally Ride and Gary Piscotti. Gary Piscotti. <laughs> I just laugh because I am I have the uh, For All Mankind wiki open mm-hmm. for this episode, and it just it keeps referring to him as Gary, Yeah. <laughs> even though he's called piscotti like 99 percent of the time right so it's like gary 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 um so anyways they're on so they're in pathfinder with nuclear material or no they're they're shepherding the sea dragon which which has the nuclear materials right yes yeah they are escorting it to the moon and as as we mentioned before pathfinder is now armed because soviets are blockading the moon and they basically have orders to fire upon the soviets if they try to stop them from reaching the moon yeah and it's because there's a blockade but the U.S. is not going to recognize that blockade, like the Civil War, right? Uh, yeah, pretty like, much. Like Lincoln was like, "I'm not going to recognize your succession." Yes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep a military base on Fort Sumter. Could you imagine if uh, President Biden was just like, "I don't recognize Canada"? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, like, I'm just gonna take it. I mean, Putin basically doesn't recognize Ukrainian sovereignty over like Donetsk and Luhansk. I mean, that's how we got into that mess. That's true. Yeah. So it's funny how a lot of politics is just like <laughs> I'm not gonna acknowledge that. Like they're all kings or whatever. Well, it, it is like the whole like you realize that like the whole system of like what country gets to exist is based on just other people agreeing it it gets to exist. Kind of like there are dozens of like quote-unquote countries who have like set up their own governments and have said they're independent but because they are not recognized by the proper amount of countries are not like officially countries right like south ossetia on the georgian russian border is recognized by russia and russia's allies but but not by the u.s and most of the rest of the world um kosovo in the balkans kind of a similar situation but that's actually recognized by the u.s but not some other countries the western sahara in africa the same the same kind of deal it's it's a very fragile uh system the westphalian statehood i believe it's called westphalia born and raised <laughs> playgrounds where i spent most of my days got one little fight my mom got scared and she said we're going to create a system where states recognize each other to ensure mutual respect for their boundaries thursdays on nbc <laughs> so yeah so there's this blockade that the us that ronnie reagan isn't going to recognize mm-hmm. and it's basically leading to like a climactic like a you know cuban missile crisis if you will it's like you know they've been tasked they got to shepherd this sea dragon to the moon but you know baron's gonna shoot down the sea dragon if they cross a certain point and you know if that happens then it basically starts like a war right yeah like a full-on war not a cold war and a hot uh, war because not what... a mild war not a buffalo war <laughs> this full-on war a ghost pepper war if you will because what's also happening on earth is that the the soviet fleet is basically in the gulf of mexico because they they've they've come ostensibly to protect like the panamanian government which as you might remember from prior episodes is like now soviet aligned and and they're really upset because in this universe the u.s still controls the panama canal and uh, they have threatened to fire upon the southern united states if the u.s breaks the blockade on the moon yeah i know you you really like this plot line with like the panama canal Mm mm-hmm to me, I think it's a little bit too much on the back burner this season. Mm-hmm. And, like, we've already got so many climactic events going on with, like, Danny, Ed, and Gordo in their respective missions that it's just, like, also, there's Panama in the background. And it's, like, no characters that we deal with are in Panama. It's kind of just, like, a bit, like, oh, oh all right. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's definitely fair. I mean, like, I, I like it because I think it's, like, a smart... Somebody clearly was reading their history, and, and, I, and, I, and I applaud them for that. But I think it's fair that it does become an afterthought, and it is just kind of like a way to conveniently put the Soviet Navy outside the United States. And it's a, a convenient way to, like, involve Houston, right? I guess, in some of the danger, because they're in, like, the strike zone for a missile. Yeah, and, like, like Karen and Kelly, too. They don't yeah. really have anything so else going on. I guess we should quickly talk about Karen, because mm-hmm. they're in the middle of this. So, like, before... Anything happens with Karen, who's living a la-dee-da existence where she can do whatever she wants. She she goes to visit Sam Cleveland, right? Yes. And I wanted to bring this up because I don't know if you caught this or if I'm maybe a crazy person for catching this. So do you remember what Sam Cleveland's business is called? Oh. It says on the building. I'll just say if you can't remember. No, I can't remember it. Cleveland Capital Partners. CCP. Which, like, the the Soviet Union is known as the USSR, but in the original Cyrillic language, it is the CCCP. So, Cleveland Capital Partners, that can't be a coincidence, right, that it's just called CCP? That, I don't know, are the writers trying to imply that Sam Cleveland is an underground Soviet agent working for the Russians? And that Karen is falling right into his trap? Am I crazy? Uh, that would be a hell of a twist. I don't know. I don't know that purchasing a bar in Houston is necessarily gonna. But it has trinkets, Mike. It does have trinkets, and I guess lots of astronauts do go there. So who knows? You, you get you get Gordo drunk enough, and he starts to tell you some secrets about the space program. I, I guess it could work. Yeah. So, but anyways, um, aside from my uh, crazy conspiracy theories, that scene basically just exists to have Karen sell the bar to Sam, which they had already agreed to, right? Yeah, that, that did confuse me a little bit because I was like, oh, I thought they agreed on this already, which obviously they did, but I guess they're signing the paperwork. And they also have like a brief exchange about, you know, 
Sam being worried because Tracy's up there. And, and Karen smoking pot. Yeah, she's like, well, you know, pot helps with all that anxiety. I, I know we're not going to do, at least not in the near future, we're not going to do season three, but establishing this relationship is important for season three of For All Mankind. She neglects to mention that she's sleeping with his stepson. Yes, she does not mention that. She has not mentioned that to anybody, actually. The only, only two people in the world know about this. She hasn't even mentioned that she was selling the bar to Sam, to her own daughter. Kelly shows up yeah. to the outpost, and they're like, what's going on? Why is this place empty? As, the, as if that's a surprise. Right. I don't think she's told Ed either, has she? No, well, they're, they're fighting. Well, yeah, I know. But yeah, Kelly comes over to the bar, and she's like, oh, you know, what's going on? And she's like, oh, I sold it, blah, 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 blah. You know, maybe I'll go back to school. I'll go to, to William and Mary, which as has been established early in the season is her alma mater, where she really wanted Kelly to go. And that prompts Kelly to ask Karen if, if she and Ed are getting a divorce. Yeah, and just as they're starting to talk about that, the emergency broadcast signal comes on the TV. These were like the Amber Alerts of the 1980s. And then like the air raid, air raid sirens start blaring. And then it's like, uh-oh. We've got big trouble here. Bigger than Karen Baldwin. <laughs> yeah. And so they they dash off, I believe, to the basement. The fallout. Well, there's a fallout shelter sign. Yeah. Um, where, you know, some some uh, unseemly things had happened a few episodes earlier. Um, <laughs> they, they still run those emergency test alerts on TV. They just do it, like, in the middle of the night. Back in the day when I, when I used to stay up late to watch Craig Ferguson, occasionally it would happen. And it would really kill the mood to, like hear the sound of like the last thing you would hear before you got hit by a nuclear bomb and then have to go like watch late night tv again not a fan but i guess they got to do it we cut to nasa and like a similar thing happens there where like the air raid signal goes on and margo has to like give a speech it's like all right everybody there's like shelters like two minutes down the hall it's like if there's anyone who wants to go you can go anyone else who wants to stay and help you can stay and it it's a little funny. There's a character in the back who I'll refer to as the Mike Levito character. Oh, <laughs> he's like immediately like I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, it did get it did get me to think. It's like what would I do? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Part of me is like, well, I would save my skin. But part of me is like, well, I would feel pressure to stay and, and help these these people on the thing. There is there is a quote. Oh, I can't remember who it was now, and I read it recently. But the point was that like. You know, if nuclear war does happen, like if the bomb is dropped, like let it not let it not find us sort of cowering in a corner. Let it find us doing the things that bring us joy and pride. So I guess that's what they're doing. And yeah, but there was that one guy who just like yeah. left. Yeah. He was like, I have to return some videotapes, and he just like left. Yeah, the Lars Emerson character, I think, right? He... <laughs> so yeah, they decide to help, and they've gotten in touch with Tracy and Gordo, and um, they're like the only people that they can talk to. They've managed to successfully hunker themselves away in an area that's not, you know, guarded by the Russians where they can be sort of ambulatory. And then there's like kind of like the Apollo 13, the Ron Howard film, like that moment where it's like they come up with a solution where Gordo proposes a, a crazy solution to being like, well, I have to like flip this switch to turn off the nuclear reactor that we talked about is going to, you know, blow up the moon. And Gordo proposes a crazy idea, which is that he's going to go outside into space and shut off the switch manually. Right. The big problem, of course, is that they don't have suits where they are, and the rest of the ship is crawling with cosmonauts who want to kill them. So they're kind of limited in what they can do. So they get to work. It, it, it is the square peg in a round hole scene from Apollo 13, basically. They get to work figuring out uh, how they can make a fake suit, not a fake suit, a, a jerry-rigged suit, for Gordo. the closest they can get to a, a spacesuit yeah with the materials they have in that room and uh, i just like how it was like how many how far away is it and then he's like a true marine where it's like he knows like his physical abilities like yeah i can do that mm -hmm. in 15 seconds <laughs> yeah i can hold my breath and hold my breath dash off to a switch like make the swap all and get back alive in 15 seconds it's like yeah if you say better you than me but good on you so what, what do they come up with, Mike, in terms of a spacesuit? So they decide they are going to wrap him entirely, his entire body outside of his face, in duct tape. 
Uh, every inch of skin that he can see will be covered in duct tape to protect his skin. And uh, they, I forget what they do with the mask. They're just like masks they still have. Yeah, they're um, like gas mask, respirator yeah. masks, sort of thing. It's uh, basically an excuse so we can see the actors' faces, I guess. Right. Yeah, and I feel like it's, I mean, like you need a mask so like your your face doesn't just melt. But um, I think a moot point because they're not going to be. They're trying not to breathe anyway. And while while Tracy is is taping him up, she's like, "Well, I got to make one for myself too." And they have this whole argument about who's going to go. And they eventually decide they are both going to dash out uh, to the to the ship in these these homemade spacesuits. Yeah. And, and save the nuclear reactor they talk about like how they love each other yes then they decide to go do it it's time they like have no time left to to do it so mm-hmm. what's really scary is that it's like not even holding your breath you have to like expel all breath yeah for your lungs otherwise they would explode <laughs> right the thing that like vacuum like, apparently does to your body i don't understand it and it's terrifying because they get out there immediately they they're like eyes start bleeding the uh like the adhesive on the tape begins melting immediately because it's like i think they said it's like 250 degrees outside fahrenheit yeah yeah which causes like just like blood is just spurting out of their bodies in the exposed sections it doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun to 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 put it lightly i think there's a bit of i mean i didn't like go back and like uh time this on my stopwatch but i think there's a bit of time manipulation (laughs) going on in this scene right because it's supposed to be like 30 seconds total i think for them to go front and back Mm -hmm. but i think i think you know there's some time manipulation in regards to the editing where it it takes longer on screen and it doesn't look like it's you know slow motion you know i mean apart from like the zero g gravity of course but you know they both run outside they go and they manage to get to the thing 25 minutes away the panels and they manage to flip the switches and they manage to reverse the reactor which was just about to like go critical but then it's like oh it's going down yay mm-hmm. and and Houston sees that the cabin is or the airlock is repressurized so that means they made it back safe how did you, how did you react to uh, sort of like this idea of like we're going to go out into space without a spacesuit did it did it seem like because you know the show has gone out of its way as we mentioned previously it's a very realistic show in terms of the way it portrays you know science and physics and whatnot and so the idea of like oh i'm gonna run out into space to shut off this thing it's like we're gonna make a spacesuit, mm-hmm. and then like to show them do it and then to show them go all the way back how did this how did this strike you when it first happened mike a, a, a little silly but also pretty fascinating like i mean it's it is an impossible problem, right? I think just if you're watching a show like this, you know one of the things you just accept is you just can't go out into space, you know, without a special suit. And so it's like, how, how do you solve this issue? But you're also like, this is just going to, like, kill them, right? Like, there's no way it ends well. And so, I mean, it's very tense. I didn't I don't think, I didn't really doubt that they were going to fix it because you wouldn't have the rest of a show if you didn't do that. But I didn't know what was going to happen kind of in between then and, like, if they were going to live, Right. So it was, even though, like you said, there's the time manipulation, um, obviously I'm sure it stretches credulity and, and just basic science as far as whether this could actually happen. But I, I thought it was like a, like, yeah, my initial reaction was like, I can't, it was, I, was, I was almost like, I can't believe they're actually going there. And then they went there. Yeah, and they did. And I was thinking it's like, if they managed to do this like successfully and managed to make it all the way back and it's like, they're fine, then this show is like... <laughs> ridiculous right and like and like ridiculous things are already happening like this is the thing about this episode it's great but it's great because it is ridiculous right they're just kind of piling on obstacle and obstacle and obstacle and it's kind of absurd but that's also what makes it great unfortunately they the show manages to avoid uh being called ludicrous because they make it all the way back to the airlock but unfortunately tracy and gordo uh you know they they seemingly pass away from their injuries yes we we don't we don't see them like they they close the door and that's kind of the last we see of them until later on in the episode when they are i mean this is a mild skipping head but they are discovered dead yeah mm-hmm. and it, it's it's eerie when he shows them because they they look like fake dummy people yes they do but yeah, they're they're dead yep they, they made the ultimate sacrifice so that jamestown doesn't blow up which uh would also have been ludicrous but um pretty cool but anyways let's talk about danielle in um the apollo soyuz mission which they want to do the handshake 
they pretty much get the call. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like, hey, Danny, um, things with Russia are not good right now. So I don't think we're, the president doesn't really want to do this. So we're going to call it off. You know, and Danny's just like, this is a waste of time and money. Yep. <laughs> and then she's like, hey, she calls the Russian guy mm-hmm. who was her friend because they, they met one time. Yes. And had, uh, Jack Daniels. Hey, it's me. You want to just do this handshake anyway? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And then um, then what happens, Mike? They uh, they do the handshake. They disobey orders. Well, yeah, Danny disobeys orders. And then uh, Bill Strausser is, is going to Ellen being like, hey, hey, they're disobeying orders. Ellen's like, you know what? Let them do it. She's like, let's just make sure one good thing happens on this day. Yeah, that was a little cheesy. It was, yeah. Um, I mean, the whole idea for the mission is cheesy in, in the first place, but they uh, they do it successfully. Yep, they, there's this big uh, climactic moment where Danielle and the Russians, they do the handshake in space that they've been building up all season. It's like the we see the news cameras, and it's a bit... It's a bit of, like, a contrast, because it's, like, everyone looks happy, the music's very triumphant, but then they cut to, like, it's showing on, like, TVs that have been left on all over Houston, and it's, like, the air raid sirens. Right. And it is, like, things are, like, at a critical juncture for, like, the planet. hmm I mean, obviously, it's more so people in Houston and, like, that area that are um, getting the air raid sirens, but the president himself has launched into air force one right yes they're at defcon 2 which is defcon 1 i believe is the one that's like nuclear war defcon 2 is like the president is in air force one because he doesn't want to be on the ground and get blown up but then there's the shot of of him watching the (laughs) what did you think of the sort of like dubbed like audio about this we're like mr president look at this look at the tv and they look at the TV. Well, I, yeah, I, I know in the next part, I was going to ask you what you thought of that. But uh, yeah, the part when it's like they're on Air Force One, and it's like, Mr. President, look at the TV. And then it's like, he just glances, not even really looking at the TV. <laughs> like, unless he has like chameleon lizard eyes <laughs> moving all the way. It's like, yeah, he's not looking at the TV, guys. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was a good try. But like, it, like imagine me like a news director on that day where you're like, well, there's an impending nuclear war happening on Earth. But I guess we also have to cut to footage of this, like, completely, like, scientifically meaningless mission also happening. Like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you make that decision if you're working at a television station? It doesn't really seem very prudent to me. This show has gone pretty much full ridiculous, I think. But um, it's exciting. Yeah, exactly. It's better than being boring. Right, yeah. And then um, Ellen gets a phone call from Ronald Reagan while she's at NASA, right? And I wanted to ask you what you thought about this because it was kind of funny. Where it's like, are you seeing this on the news? It's like, <laughs> Mr. President, I'm sorry. It was beautiful. Yeah. She she expects to get chewed out by Reagan for disobeying his orders. Because her whole thing is like, well, you know, I speak for the president here and all this. And, and instead he's like, it was beautiful. Nancy thought so too. Um, Just shut up about Nancy. <laughs> and they decide, spur of the moment, while they're literally in DEFCON 2, they're about to go to nuclear war with Russia. They decide, you know what? Let's turn this wagon around. Let's go straight for Moscow. <laughs> and yeah. uh, let's they, have they our... Meet, yeah. They have their own handshake with the premier, Soviet premier, Yuri Andropov. To me, when I'm watching this, it's like, this is like the moment I've been waiting for. This is like the actual like Star Trek moment mm-hmm. of the show, you know, when it's like the, the peace accords of the Cold War, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just like things, the tension seems so high, but then it's like beautiful moment where it's like peace can be shared. Yeah. So uh, it was it was cool to watch. Uh, you're more of a politico than I am. It's like, is this is this likely? <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think that the president or any president really would ever be so moved by something like this that they decide to avert nuclear war on a dime like that. Did any president between 1945 and 89 visit the Soviet Union? Yeah, I mean, Nixon, as vice president, visited the Soviet Union. That's where the famous, like, kitchen debates happened. So, yes, they they did. I mean, they also met in, like, neutral sites a lot. Like, Reagan famously met with the Soviets, I believe, in, I want to say, Helsinki. I mean, like, Ford definitely met with them in Helsinki. He signed the Helsinki Accords, which were very um, controversial. And where so were the Sokovia Accords signed? I believe those, that was actually in the United Nations, which, weirdly, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is in Geneva and not New York. I don't really understand why that is. Then the, where was the Geneva Convention? <laughs> Uh, maybe it's the New York convention in the MCU. I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> but no, like, yes. Like, that was that's what detente was. Like, Nixon's detente. Like, yeah, they did. Um, I don't think they would have been able to just say, literally, when everybody's military is on the highest alert they have ever been, just fly into Soviet airspace and not get shot out of the sky. Yeah. Like, that's definitely not going to happen. But it's nice. It's, 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 you know, it's nice to dream, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this moment where it's like, yes, it seems like peace is within our grasp. Finally, this long Cold War will be ending after 40-odd years. But there is one last thing that people need to worry about, and that is Ed Baldwin. <laughs> yeah. The, uh... The would-be Gavriel Princep about to, with one pull of a trigger, start another world war. Yeah, so just laying out the scenario for our listeners. So they're in, like, the area of the moon where it's like they can't contact Earth. And as we said, it's Pathfinder guarding this sea dragon. And there's this Russian spaceship, Baran, which is kind of a funny name when they kept saying Baran. It, it like, may, it's a person right. it or made a me monster. Think, it may, yeah, it made me think of Varan, which is a Godzilla character. Um, <laughs> and uh, so Baran has orders to enforce this blockade that the U.S. doesn't recognize. They're going to shoot down this sea dragon if they cross a certain parallel in space or whatever. Ed's pretty much primed to, like, shoot missiles at Baran, right? Yeah, because what happens is, too, is to add extra tension is that they both end up on, on the dark side of the moon. So their communications with NASA are cut short, and their communications with Baran are also limited. But yes, the idea is that Ed gives the order to Sally, who is, I guess, like the weapons officer or whatever, to like arm the missiles and aim them at Ron and Gary and Sally are like, are you seriously going to do this? Like we're at, this is actually going to happen now. And he goes into, as we talked about earlier, like his whole rant about how, you know, it was American weakness that, that lost Vietnam. And he's like, like, I've seen them in Korea. Yeah. He's like, I see what they're capable of. Like they're going to do the exact same thing to the moon. And he, he, he goes full, uh, goes, goes full, um, full hardliner. Captain Ahab. Captain Ahab. Um, that guy from Doctor Strangelove. Uh, General Ripper? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so he ends up basically, he relieves Sally of her. Yeah. Yeah. He relieves Sally and then he sort of takes over her desk and he's like going to do it. And then Sally pulls out a gun. <laughs> yes. Which was foreshadowed, I think, of the prior episode when they're like, oh, you got to carry these on the moon now. And Sally just picks up the gun and like cleans it and looks at it like an old pro. But then Ed Ed does, like, his own, like, ninja move, and he, like, pulls out a gun, too. Yeah. (laughs) On Sally. And, like, they're in, like, a Mexican standoff. And then Biscotti's just like, is this really happening right (laughs) now? This guy who started out as just, like, kind of a wannabe is like, oh, my God. I'm about to, like, see two astronauts shoot each other and also cause World War III. But eventually, Ed's like, you know, like, my orders are to fire at Baran. I have to do this with the president says. And she's like... I saw you testify about Apollo 10 on Capitol Hill, which is, of course, covered in uh, season one. You could have landed on the moon, but you said it was your mission. You were in charge of it. It was your call, and you decided not to, right? You could have disobeyed orders, but you didn't, and that means you, you can disobey orders if you want to. You know, this is in your hands. And so what ends up happening is he he gets ready, he aims, he fires, and the missiles start flying, and then Gary looks at them and goes, wait, that's not right. Yeah, instead of going towards Baran, they veer off, take a sharp left and go straight into the sea dragon that they were meant to be shepherding, sending the sea dragon careening down to the moon. This is great. I actually really like this because this is, this is really Star Trek where Ed becomes like Captain Kirk. Famously, in most episodes, had to decide between one of two choices, usually sort of a more humist approach that was always argued by Dr. McCoy or the more logical approach, which was always argued by Spock. And then Kirk's always like, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> and so Ed, Ed takes a third option and he decides to blow up the sea dragon himself so that, you know, Baran doesn't shoot it down or, you know, they get shot by Baran and they don't shoot Baran down. So it's like completely neutralizing the situation, which is great. I really liked it. Yeah, it is. It is yet. I have not watched nearly as much Star Trek as you, but it did strike me as a very Star Trekky development. And, and then they, they they get back in touch with NASA. Yes, they do. And the news is is that the official story, or Ed, this official story according to Ed, is that oh we we didn't blow up Sea Dragon actually it was just there was a, like a, a circuitry failure and it and it, and it blew up. 
and there are going to be investigations about the Rockets in Huntsville, Alabama, which was important in the first season. Yeah. But it's it's the initial moment where he's on the radio with Ellen, and Ellen's like, did you shoot down Ron? He's like, negatory. Yeah. And, and she's like, oh, thank God. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank God this crazy person did not. Well, he's not crazy, but he's very yeah. intense. So World War Three is over. Mm-hmm. The handshake in space went through, causing our greatest president, Ronald Reagan, to fly to Moscow <laughs> yes, to broker a deal. And then um, the nuclear reactor doesn't go off, thanks to the selfless sacrifice of Tracy and Gordo Stevens. Hashtag tear. <laughs> Very sad. And then um, we get some uh, archive footage of a state funeral in D.C. Yeah. It's supposed to be Tracy and Gordo's funeral. Bit awkward implementation of stock footage. I, I kind of like the way they did it. I thought it was like fairly well done. Or it's clearly stock footage of something, but they insert the characters in there. Yeah, it's, it's this this very emotional scene. It it ends basically near um at their graves in Arlington National Cemetery. This actually is the thing that stood out to me. Is like you see him earlier at like the, the big public facing funeral, but when they're like actually at their graves, so we have Ed, we have Karen, we have Kelly. Okay, fine. That makes sense. We have Danny and we have Jimmy Stevens. Is that the other Stevens kid? Brother, yeah, Jimmy. They're there. Okay, fine. That makes sense. Danny's there. That makes sense too. Margo's there. That makes sense. Sam Cleveland's not there. Yeah, I mean, why would he be? Because it's his wife just is his wife's grave. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'd rather have Sam Cleveland there than Danny Stevens, but. Right? <laughs> anyway yeah no it's very confusing like that's what it's like a contrast because they have this big huge funeral and it gets down and it's like oh these are the only seven people that both of them knew (laughs) right where's johnny (laughs) yeah well this is a weird wacky stuff here (laughs) that's right johnny carson where was he was he invited to the state funeral he better have been so yeah this is you know i think the other big kind of like emotional point of this uh moment is that Ed and Karen and Kelly, they leave in separate cars. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I guess they haven't reconciled. Mm-hmm. Things have reached an impasse. It's weird that it's not like uh, Karen tells Kelly to go with her father and then she gets in a car with Danny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been like, uh, and it's, and then it's just like, camera like zooms in on Ed and it's like, do, 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 do. And that's where the season ends. Um, no, but no, I'm just joking. Yeah, so they separate. And they leave in separate cars. Did Ed get a new sports car? I think that's... It, it looked new. It looked high-tech. It did, yeah. And there's, like, the whole thing where Tom Payne is riding in the electric car at the beginning. Oh, right. Um, I, I, yeah, Was it, that it, an electric car? I, I have no idea. Um, I don't know anything about cars. The last character we really see is is Margo, who, who's walking down the, the cemetery road. Well, she, she looks... She, she goes to the Eternal Flame in John F. Kennedy's grave. Looks at it for a bit. Well, she's like walking. She and also, it's like, do they have cell phones now? Yes, I mean they had cell phones, and I mean not everybody, but they, their cell phones were kind of a thing in the late eighties. But have they shown Margot with a cell phone? I think this, this is. Season? I think you are right. This is probably the first time she she has had one. And she answers it, and it's like, "Hello." It's <laughs> like I'd like to talk with you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's uh, Sergey Nikolov. Yes. Who's calling Margo? This uh, obviously this supposed to be sweet moment where he's like, "Are you going to be at the conference in the UK this yeah, summer?" Yeah, London. Margo's like, "I don't know. I have to check my schedule." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, it seems like there might be a uh, love connection here." I don't want to sound like Chuck Woolery uh, <laughs> in any respect, but uh, <laughs> there might be a love connection here. But 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 there's a but, right, Mike? Yeah, but. Uh, he, 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 he's not, he's not alone in his office when he's making this phone call. There are lots of Soviet higher-ups surrounding him, and they're like, good, good, she doesn't suspect a thing. Clearly using him as a, a back channel to get to her. Which is, you know, it's a clever ploy by the Russians to, you know, successfully broker a deal for world peace to use it as an opportunity to gain a greater foothold (laughs) on world domination. So yeah, so something, something's rotten in Denmark here, in this Mm -hmm. situation between, uh, Sergey Nikolov and Margot, but we'll just have to leave it for the moment. The scene ends, as Mike said, with um, Margot looking at JFK's Eternal Flame, uh, thinking about something. Yes. <laughs> did Did you have any uh, insight onto like what 
any meaning behind this? Well, I assume it's maybe partly supposed to be a a callback. Like, I believe the very first episode begins with, like, JFK's speech about going to the moon. And I assume it's just supposed to be a callback to that. Because, you know, this whole thing is, like, we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's hard. And I think there there is some implication where it's, like, this is, like, the price we pay for progress, right? All, all the sad stuff that just happened is the price we're paying. And this is sort of Kennedy's... In some ways, this is like, you know, what Kennedy was talking about. And the eternal flame, too. I mean, like, I was going to talk about this later, but, like, the whole point of the handshake is that, like, Tom Paine's vision of returning the U.S. as, like, a beacon on the hill, like, it actually pans out, right? Like, this one gesture doesn't bring about world peace, per se, but it brings about detente, at least, between the two warring superpowers. Or maybe she's just thinking about Mars. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Any, any meaning that you've derived uh, that did not... All I just saw was kind of like an empty image of Margot just standing in front of the flame. I was thinking more about like, where's RFK's flame? That's a good question. It's like right next to it. Yeah. I've been there. All right. I, <laughs> I have it's too. like, yeah, that, that is the uh, moment that the kind of season in this time period ends on. We've got like one more sequence to talk about. Do you want to talk us through it, Mike? From, you know, Earth, we kind of zoom out and into space. And we zoom across the galaxy to strains of Nirvana's Come As You Are from the seminal 1991 album Nevermind. And we go all the way to Mars and we get a shot of the Martian soil and then two human feet stepping on that red, red earth. In a, in a spacesuit. Yes, in a spacesuit. Yeah, not, <laughs> not just like a, a dead body floating onto the... the or, you know, just like a, a shot of two feet walking into frame. That would be... Super confusing way to end the season. <laughs> it would be, yes. <laughs> well, if it was two alien feet, that'd be something else. It's Dr. Manhattan. Right, yeah. <laughs> yep, and we get the title reveal, title card thing that says 1995, and then mm. basically smash cut to credits. Yes. So, Mike, I know you had thoughts about the, the song choice for this, right? I mean, it doesn't really mean anything. I think you could make an argument that lots of Nirvana songs don't mean anything. I say that as a Nirvana fan. They clearly just did it because it's like a 90s song and it's kind of moody. I mean, there are like, like there was a whole genre called like, like there was a band called Space Hog in the 90s. Like you could have used mm-hmm. a Space Hog song. There was a song called Lady and Gen- Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating Through Space. You could have used that song. Just like not my favorite choice. Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which is what closes out season, season one, one, makes a little bit more sense because everybody wants to rule the moon. But yeah, I don't know. Like I said, not not the music choices in season three, they get a little a little dicier in general, I would say. Yeah, so it seems like twelve years from now, which is so far the biggest time jump we've had in this show, um, it seems like we'll be dealing with Mars. Which, you know, in our in our real life, it's twenty twenty two right now and we have not gotten to Mars. Yeah, haven't even come close, at least humans haven't. We got we got rovers up there, but uh no, no flesh and blood. Um, and that that's the end of uh, season two. Uh, definitely, I want to give kudos that this is a, a great season finale, great episode. I think this is probably the best episode of the show, in my opinion, of the ones that I've watched, all 20 of them that I've seen so far. This is, this is the best episode. This is, as I said, as... Someone who has approached the show has heard a lot about like the Star Trek associations and stuff with this. This is the part where I felt like it finally lived up to that promise as sort of like being like achieving like that level of um, aspirational, hopeful sort of, you know, progress um, sort of reflecting that in the storytelling. So I really appreciate it. Mike, what did you think? No, I, I agree completely. Like we said, it's a little over the top. Yeah, sure. But I think therein lies its genius as well. You have those great Star trek moments like we were talking about with Ed and Sally Ride. Um, and just like exciting, tension filled, um, riveting, really. Like you just really want to see what happens next throughout this episode and sets you up for the third season too, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't, you know, this is, this is like the payoff, right? We sat through Shane being on a bed for like two episodes. We, we sat through like the early elite storylines that didn't mesh very well. We sat through Danny and Karen's affair and it got us to this. And you know what? It was worth it. So, Mike, uh, now that we've reached the end of season two, would you like to give some uh, general thoughts about the the season overall? Yeah, I think what's really noticeable about season two is that it, this, this is a show kind of deciding what it wants to be, right? We talked a lot in season one about how at times it felt like a docudrama, at times it felt like it was trying to recreate Mad Men, 
um, at times there were just elements that felt like too much like a conventional drama and not enough like this kind of Star Trekky adventure show. Whereas I think with season two, they really embraced, I think, the uh, potential that a story like this has as far as doing more. I don't want to say outlandish because there's nothing like there's insane things, but there's nothing like crazy. But, you know, about, about taking bigger swings, I guess, creatively and situation wise, you know, it, it really tightens things up with Karen. You know, obviously, I know you're not a fan of the Karen Gary Danny storyline. I'm not really a fan of it either. But, you know, she, she's more, she's better integrated into the rest of the story. Same thing with Aleda, right? These characters are are, are, are are fleshed out a little bit more than they are in the first season. And that's good. And, yeah, it's just, I think, a great, great, compelling television. I mean, you, you're always left wanting to watch the next episode. Even when things happen that you don't like, you just want to see what people's reactions are going to be to it. But like I said, I think it really carries forward this idea that, that Tom Paine articulates at the beginning of the season that he wants the space program to be a beacon on a hill, you know, a, a marker of human achievement and peace. It, it really runs with that idea throughout the season, ends up delivering on that with, with the handshake and Reagan's impromptu visit to Moscow. Overall, I want to say that this season was better constructed than season one. The thing I, I always compare it to in my head is like um, the TV show Fargo seasons one and two, where I feel like season one has sort of, it's sort of more reckless, I would say, but then there's like climactic highs you know, as it as it gets to the back half. So that, that's what I think of, like, season one. It's where it's, like, a bit reckless. They're finding everything. And then season two of both shows, it feels like it's more stable. Like, it knows what it is. So it's more like a general schmear of good television where it's kind of spread out evenly. Um, so that's how, that's how I feel about season two. Like, it was smart, I think, to just pick a time period and be like, this is, this is the time period that this season is going to take place. It wasn't like we're jumping over a period of six years. There wasn't time skips every two episodes. I do think it was the idea of introducing season-long storylines like the handshake in space was introduced pretty early on molly's cancer so i think it was like a better structured constructed season of tv you brought up like karen and aleda and i'm kind of disappointed like as i mentioned like how aleda didn't really have kind of a strong role in season two she was kind of just introduced to get her like back in the fold and there's you know she has a great moment in, in a episode but there wasn't really any big meaningful moment for her as we got to the ending. And I think I think that's kind of a problem I have with this season is that it's too much of like the season as a whole. It just makes it feel like one long movie instead of like I would have really liked really strong individual episodes. Like we talked about Nixon's Women last season, how that felt like a really good episode. I mentioned a lot how I felt like every two episodes of season one were like its own movie. Mm -hmm. I would have appreciated like really strong episodes that like stood on their own you know as like a like wow that was a really outstanding individual installment and like you can focus on individual characters um like Aleda or Karen and I felt like maybe that would have helped um some of the issues we might have had or maybe made them worse actually <laughs> <laughs> because I felt like um as we talked about it's like the show's more of like a general ensemble now so I felt like a lot of every character got sort of spread out over every episode and it was hard to like get a feeling like who's the story really about kind of it felt kind of adrift this ending episode was really like wow they really like tied everything together really strong note to end on i'm interested to see where season three goes because i've heard a lot from you about season three and i've heard from our lord master lars emerson about <laughs> season three just in general and so I'm uh, I'm intrigued about it. Do you have any sort of general non-spoilery things you want to say about it? Yeah, so what you described, the it definitely does not go back to the more episodic format you were describing. It definitely is more of the one long movie thing. And I would say it really I tests your patience with that approach. There are some really excruciating decisions that they make. Um, some characters who become very excruciating to deal with. Lots of leaps in logic and decisions characters make. It, it's, it is easily the worst season of the show. It's still watchable. It's still entertaining. It's just not as good as the rest of the show. And there are some issues I would say, you know, th this is not really spoilery, but it's like, look, these characters are like getting old, right? We first meet them in the late 60s. Season 3 is in the mid, the mid 90s. And let's just say they don't really have a great supporting cast to replace them. So there, it's definitely running into some issues. Season four, we'll see what happens with it. But I, I would certainly encourage you and anybody else listening to watch season three and make up their own minds. How does the 
appeal of the season four look to you now? I mean, I'm gonna watch it. I, I at the so I would say that they're the final shot of season three is actually very compelling, and the direction they go with that, a character finds himself in a position that is very different and uh, seems like it could be pretty interesting. The time period, I'll be interested to see how they cover the time period that will cover season four. Um, so I'm definitely fascinated to see what happens. If it involves lots of one character in particular, I will be very upset. You can probably guess who it is based based on based on our past discussions, this one character. Um, but, but I'm at, le- at least fascinated to watch, you know, the 1995 to 2000, whatever they go to. Spoiler alert, I guess, when the fourth season is going to be. But I think you can probably guess that based on what's happening the rest of the seasons. Um, the gay 90s. Yes. That, that means the 1890s. For anyone else who's listening, it's not meant to be offensive. No. Yeah, so th- this is this has been great, taking a look with you at these uh, first two seasons, 20 episodes. We've certainly done a lot of uh, podcast episodes devoted to talking about it. Definitely, if you're a fan of history, of you know this specific time period in history, which is kind of, I don't know, I mean, I guess it's like 40 to 50 years old now. It's getting pretty... Uh, out there where it's not quite ancient history because you know a lot of people are alive that had to live through this but you know we're, st- we're gonna have to start getting a lot of these facts in the history books you know because people start dropping like flies <laughs> that's one way to put it yeah i mean think about it, like the only uh the only person around from from uh, apollo 11 is 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 buzz aldrin right michael collins and buzz and neil armstrong excuse me have both passed away so yeah this is uh it's, it's a generation that is that is fading and uh but but it's a it's a fascinating and exciting time in american history and i'm glad that we can celebrate it even if we kind of make stuff up about it (laughs) on this show and it's it's a lot of fun to talk about yeah so thanks for going on this uh, long winding journey through this apple apple tv plus show mike i uh, really appreciate it of course anytime well we certainly talked about this longer than uh, lars and i devoted to talking about v which we originally covered in the uh, last year's incarnation of this podcast, which if you haven't listened to, check those episodes out. If anyone wants to get in touch with us about uh, what they think about For All Mankind, what they might think about V, since I just mentioned it, as I said, we're not going to be discussing For All Mankind, at least not now in the the near future. We're coming up with new ideas to talk about on this podcast, something science fiction related, so we won't be straying too far from our original mission statement. But uh, if anyone has any ideas for topics you might like us to talk about and cover, if there are any hidden gems of science fiction goodness that Mike and I might like to talk about, please let us know. Contact us at contact at thepostwriter.com. That is our email address. C-O-N-T-A-C-T at at symbol. <laughs> at symbol. T-H-E-P-O-S-T-R-I-D-E-R dot C-O-M. Dot com that stands for commercial yep that's an email address and i know you guys think you know they're probably bogged down in email over there they probably don't have time to read all these and you know what it's true we <laughs> barely have enough money to pay all the elves that actually go through and read all the emails for us and send them uh, mimeograph them up to us on the top floor of our office building but you know what send us an email anyway don't be discouraged and uh, you can get in touch with us on twitter too mike mike what's your twitter Yep, you can find me on Twitter at mlevito and on Letterboxd at Ameramike. Yeah, and you can find me at the Lewis Ryan as well. That's my Twitter account. If you have any uh, interesting facts about the space program or things relating to history or for all mankind, please let us know on Twitter. At the Post Rider is the Twitter account, and we might be able to retweet you or something related to that. You know, while Twitter still exists. Um, ha ha ha. Hashtag relevant. <laughs> so anyways, Mike and I are going to... We've wrapped ourselves up in du- duct tape before we started <laughs> recording this podcast. We're going to go out into the vast reaches of space right now. Um, so hopefully it all works out for us, right, Mike? I, I can definitely run that, run whatever it is, however many centimeters. And... Yeah, I mean, we're you know we're going to run three miles around the track. <laughs> right, yeah. In 15 seconds, too. So I think we'll be all right. All right. So I think that's enough uh, tomfoolery for one, <laughs> one season. Um, so thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with some new ideas on the new horizon. So don't go too far because we'll be back before you know it. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.
Hi, I'm Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. And we're the hosts of the Post Writers Podcast, Watching Mates. It's our podcast in which we explore the trends in film under each post-war presidency and reflect on how presidents and the zeitgeist of the era shaped the movies of their time. So be sure to check it out wherever podcasts are found or on thepostwriter.com.